We will get to that second Peter a little while. Uh, one very good scripture fits really well for what we're talking about. It's just a quick, I guess, three-week series on why to trust the Bible. We've uh, looked at some of that already. The first week, we kind of looked at the different uh, testimonies of different witnesses out there, and that these are eyewitness testimony, I think, is a, is the big part. And we see the different uh, uh, ways that we, we know we have what we need because this goes back to the first century, the very people who walked with Jesus or in the Old Testament, the very people that God spoke through. And then last week, we kind of looked at why we can trust what we have. We've got different manuscript evidence. We've got good ways of translating. Uh, and then we looked at the three main reasons we would a book would make it into what we call the biblical canon, that, that there's a... a there's divine attributes to it. There's a, uh, it, it, it speaks to our souls, uh, uh, that there's a corporate reception that very early uh, the, the books were used by the churches in the first century. And then apostolic origins either were written by an apostle or associated with an apostle. And, and, and we talked about how the, the books kind of just fell in. I mean, it was God saw to it that we have what we need. And the idea to remember is that when the books were penned is when they became scripture, not when we say they are. It's kind of like you can look at God, you know, a lot of people don't believe in God in our culture. It doesn't make him less of God, does it? Uh, he doesn't become God when I believe in him. Uh, he becomes active in someone's life when they do, but it, it doesn't make him real. It makes him real to you. So today we're going to look at, this is our statement of faith that we have. It's the second one. The first one talks about God and that he's triune and uh, some of his attributes, but this is a, uh, and it's, we have our beliefs on our website, uh, you can get, there's a little pamphlet out there that says our beliefs, this is the second one, we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments through the words of human authors, and what we're going to do today is kind of play out all this and see how we came up with this, this is an evangelical free belief, that, that I don't know if you knew that, you know, probably many of you have been here don't even know that, what makes a church evangelical free, it's the statement of faith. We all, every church, if you go to any free church, this is the stuff we believe, the essentials. The rest of it, you kind of do what you want. Well, sort of. Uh, free, you know, you're kind of free to do things in non-essentials. You can go to a free church that, you know, has a different worship style, uh, different seating, different location. It's, it's the statement of faith that makes the difference. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that requires, and trusted in all that it promises. You know, I, I've always thought this was a really good statement, and, and we're going to unpack it a little bit here. So there's really, and you look at, there's three important things here. Uh, and some of these words, I thought about just not using the words because some of the, I don't walk around saying the word plenary a lot. Uh, I very, very seldom use the word confluence. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's better to understand what the word means and then use it if we can. But these are the, the three things that we le believe about the authority of the Bible. Um, you've got these three things that help us, uh, that it's plenary, uh, it's unrestricted, it's complete inspiration. Uh, and we'll look at each of these in turn. Um, uh, verbal inspiration, the text is the key, and we'll hit this really hard because I think some of us mess this up. The text is the key. And then finally, there's confluence, the idea that human authors and the Holy Spirit are both working. And how does that work out? Well, we'll discuss that. 
Will we land the plane? Probably not. Uh, it's a little bit hard, and we've got the scripture that we'll look at here uh, in Second Peter that'll help us some. So first of all, this plenary thing, what does it mean that we believe that the Bible inspiration is plenary? We believe that all of it is inspired, not just parts of it. You know, that, well, this part over here, because what happens when you start doing that? You start thinking, well, you know, we're going to do the Sermon on the Mount starting next week. And there's that one in there, and it's one I always use, is the one that if, if, if I, if God came to me and said, Brian, why, why don't we take something out? No, he would never do that, because that would be silly. But, you know, I'm like, could we get rid of love your enemies? That just seems like over the top to me. I mean, I have enough trouble loving my friends, you know. <laughs> Especially the annoying ones, right? It's, but, you know, we can't do that. We can't just pick and choose. And that's what would happen if, if it's not what we call plenary. The idea that we get to pick, and, and a lot of churches have done that in our culture. We're not going to follow these because we don't like them. Well, there's things in life we don't like. It doesn't make it untrue. It's not really whether you like it or not. It's whether you believe it's true. Is this really God's word? So the last line of the EFCA statement uh, of faith in the Bible affirms this, that, that we believe all that it teaches all that it requires, and all that it promises. And we see this, you know, this is a verse you probably know. I'm going back one, one verse, 3.16 and 17 is the one we usually hit, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It, he's talking, this is obviously to Timothy, Paul writing, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now he's talking about the Old Testament there, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's a good, good verse, that's 15. It's good to remember because think about that. Um, I look around here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but those of us who believe in him and are his disciples, how did that come about for you? How does God normally do it? He usually does it through his word. He can do it other ways, but that's the way he normally does it. That makes that word very important. If we read that Jesus says, you know, come out to me and I will give you rest, that if you believe in him, you have eternal life, wouldn't it be good to rely on those words. We do, right? So it's good to know why we do that, and that's what this really is about. But it goes on, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. I like the training and teaching. I'm not a real big fan of the reproof and correction. And I've heard people say, well, what do you, you ask somebody, why do you go to the Bible? Well, for comfort. Well, that's good if you need comfort. But sometimes it challenges us, you know. Maybe go to the Bible just to know God and let him take care of what you need. Uh, training what? In righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So this is what it's for. So this does not mean that every portion of the Bible is equally valuable to our faith. I don't know if you've read First Chronicles lately, and I'm not asking you to do that especially the first few chapters. You know what the first chapter, th th it's a lineage. A lot of begats. Now, are the begats, I'm sure they're important, they're inspired, they're supposed to be there for a reason, but that's not quite as good as John 3.16, is it? I mean, I think more people have probably been saved through John 3.16 or Ephesians 2.8 or, you know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son or we were saved by grace through faith. That probably hits you a little harder than, you know, Jehoshaphat begot Ibanez. You know, it's nice to know but they're not equally valuable to our faith doesn't mean they're not equally inspired, right? Uh, that's, we just have to, sometimes we, well, I'm just going to focus on the ones I like. Well, that's okay to some extent, but knowing the whole counsel is good. So the statement also says a complete revelation of his will for salvation. That's the key, right? 
this is what this book's for. You know, it can give us a lot of good information. Uh, we, can, we had that during Christmas. Now we know when Quirinius was governor of Syria, which is good maybe if we're in jeopardy, but it doesn't really do anything good for your life, right? It's the salvation. That's what makes us wise for salvation. That's what this statement of faith says. An ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. And we get this in the scriptures themselves. You know, the walk to Emmaus is always a good one. You know, they're walking along, Cleopas and the other disciple that doesn't get named. Um, and Jesus says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's just inevitable. Um, and, and that's the idea that these words are life-giving. Not because they're on a piece of paper or they're really cool or they have a good font. It's who they come from. You know, that's the key. Where did the words come from? Who made sure we have what we need? And the, Romans 15, you know, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, you, you, that's where you get your ultimate hope is through knowing that God saw to it that we have with you, and it points to Jesus. So that's the plenary part. We believe all of it's true. And it's hard. You know, I don't think I, I'm trying to think how many books I preach through, and I, it isn't 66, I'll tell you that. Um, some of them are a little harder to preach through. First Chronicles, first seven, eight chapters would be a little tough. That might take me 10 minutes, which is about nine minutes too long. <laughs> it's, it's just that it's not set up for preaching, really, in that sense, you know. Um, the prophets, you know, we did that. We did some of those in, in, in bulk. But, you know, normally you preach New Testament stuff, but you go and use the Old Testament. And it's all important. But if you had a, think about this. If you had 15 minutes to talk to somebody about Jesus or about Yahweh, we'll go back to that, uh, which kind of are the same if you didn't gather that from the song. Um, what would you say? Where would you take them? You know, would you take them to a lineage? He's got 15 minutes, you know. Or you, you hear this in, uh, what was that uh, movie? There was a couple movies out, Unbroken. That was a few years back. And, you know, he, if they could have one portion of the Bible, what would you choose? You know, and, that, and you know, it may be different for each person. I Maybe mean, one of you would like Mark, one of you would like John and the Psalms. I mean, that's fine. But that's the ones we usually draw from. The second one, and it's very key, verbal. We believe the Bible's inspiration is verbal. What does this mean? It means that we believe the words themselves are inerrant. The words themselves are inerrant. Verbally inspired word of God. And we see this within the Bible itself. Jesus says, have you not read? They're talking about divorce there. Have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. What do you think Jesus thinks about Genesis 1 there? He thinks it's verbally inspired, doesn't he? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Why do we believe the Old Testament's inspired? That one's easy, because Jesus thought it was. And, you know, pretty much, if you're a Christian, you put pretty much put all your eggs in the Jesus basket, right? You know, if he says it, I'm going with it. If you, and if somebody says, well, I don't believe it, well, you know, you can take it up with him then. Good luck winning that argument. Uh, might win with us, but not with them. So, and then Luke, when he starts it, he talks about eyewitnesses, and he said, why is he writing this? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You know, this is, you can be certain of what I'm writing. And then finally, Hebrews, this is so poetic, and starting out long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Well, how do we know that? He wrote them down. 
but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Well, how do we know that? They wrote it down. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So this is the idea. So the essential belief pertains to the words themselves, and we say in the original writings, and we talked about that last week. We have 5,700 manuscripts of the New Testament in pieces in full in Greek. That's pretty cool. That's just Greek. That includes Latin and other languages, you know. It, it's interesting how that all works. They tried. The Roman, one Roman emperor, emperor in, in the late third century tried to get rid of every Bible and even said he did it. That was Diocletian. Well, what are you holding? Obviously did not succeed. You know, God protects it. Uh, but in the original writings, and that's now we have scholars that are smart, and when you get your Bible, uh, somebody has been gifted and probably given their life to take the old ancient writings and turn them into something we can understand. And how do we know they get that right? Well, study Hebrew and Greek, I guess. It's out there. We have that. So the original writings, that's what we say. We're not saying every translation is completely inerrant, but we have the originals to go back to. So how we came to get these words, the, and we're going to talk about that at the end of the sermon, the mode of inspiration, which is kind of fun to talk about, is important to discuss, but the note is not the key. The words themselves are. The inspiration is primary about the text, not the authors. You got that? So you go to the map for the text. And people can say, well, how did we get the text? Well, we, can, we got some information about that, but it's the text itself that we say God got it right. And he made it so this was what we needed to know. I know I keep saying that because this is big, a big problem in churches. They're like, we're worried about the wrong things. No, it's the book itself that we put our stake. Why? Because God saw to it that we have what we need, and we have lots of evidence for that. And as we said last week, you may go to somebody this week, and they say, well, you know, we, we believe this, and this is why, and they may say, well, I don't agree. Well, I can't change that. This evidence is compelling to me. I think it's compelling to a lot of you, but if it's not compelling, I, I'm not going to lie about it. I mean, wouldn't it have been cool if God just, you know, I, I can't do the, 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 uh, the sound, but, you know, it comes down from heaven and glows and then sets down, and here's the 66 books, and we can all go by and look at them and, you know, the glow touches. You know, what would happen? Why didn't God do it that way? You know, but you can start, if you start thinking through those things, what would happen with that? Where would that be? You think we'd get it here? Assume it'd be like Jerusalem or something, wouldn't it? Well, then would that be the only one we could use? Could we copy it? Would we worship it, you know? You start seeing, and again, we don't know why God does it, why questions are hard, but apparently God thought it was a good idea. Off, we'll go with that. You know, that, that's not a bad, bad way to look at it. Uh, and he preserves it in many ways, all these different manuscripts. You know, why couldn't Diocletian get rid of them all? Because people copied it. We have pretty good evidence that, you know, when the, like the, the, the letter Ephesus came to the, you know, Ephesus church, the Ephesians letter, that Ten minutes after that, they're copying that sucker down and sending it to other churches. Because, and so you can burn the first one, but you still got the second one and the third one and the fourth one. So it goes on. That's why we have all these manuscripts. Uh, so our conviction is that the words are true and those words that contradict it are false. And Jesus says this. This is one of my favorite verses. I have to be careful when I use it, but they're talking about uh, different ways of looking at relationships and stuff, and Jesus answers them, you are wrong. 
I just love that. What, what does that imply? That you know what is right. You can't know if something's wrong. You know, it's, it's the same idea. You can't, as C.S. Lewis says, you can't really understand if something's crooked if you don't have a good idea what is straight. Or the old adage, you can't tell something's counterfeit if you don't know what's real. And this is, you are wrong. Jesus doesn't even hesitate. Now, this is Jesus, and you have to be careful with this, and you can be more pastoral. But I always, I like this. When they say, well, I, you know, I think Jesus was just a, you know, a nice prophet. And it's like, you are wrong. <laughs> Might not quite do it. Yet. But why are they wrong? Because you neither, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You're wrong because, and what does that imply? The scriptures are right. This is from Jesus. Again, most likely just talking about the Old Testament there, but I think it goes on to the new because obviously the new hadn't written yet. And then just in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. He's praying to the Father there. Your word is truth. You know, so we lift this up as being the word of God. So we believe that it's plenary, that all of it's true, and even though it has different uses in our life, and that it, the, the words is what we're worried about. But what, how did we get this? Well, what, a lot of times what we do with things and, and uh, different councils throughout, we actually were talking about that at the Bible study, you know, when we talk about a doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of the two natures of Christ, what you kind of do is you figure out what's not right and whatever's left is right. That's kind of the, the way we look at it. And this is a little bit this way. It's, we believe that the Bible's inspiration is confluent. It's not really that. Fluent means flowing. Confluent means two or more. So you've got the authors and the Spirit, that both the direction of the Holy Spirit and the free will of the author are at play together. It's kind of cool to think, and we're going to look a little bit how that might work. Now, why does that matter? We don't believe in a dictation mode of inspiration. You want an example of that? The Koran's that way. That's their belief. I don't know if you know the Koran, you know, 600 years after Jesus, you know, Muhammad has this, is this encounter with the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel dictates the exact Koran to him. That's their belief. I mean, and this isn't to mean the pejorative, but it could have been a monkey. It didn't matter because it, it was just direct dictation. We don't believe that's the way it works. It's not direct dictation. You know, maybe we would have liked that better, but that's not the way it works. And exactly how this works is not fully known, but we do have some. And this is a scripture that we can look at uh, starting back in verse 16 of chapter uh, 1 of Second Peter for we did not, we there would probably be the apostles, not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, that's kind of back to that first week. You were, I mean, it's really cool the way he puts that. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Talking about the transfiguration there more than likely. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Eyewitness. And when we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there, that's exactly how it works. Men spoke from God as they were carried along from the Holy Spirit. And you know, I don't know why we go right to chapter 2 there. 
I was saying if God wanted to take something out, I'd maybe take that love your enemy. But if he wanted to put something in, I got a lot of put more ends. This would be one. Well, how did that exactly work? How did, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have watched any of the chosen. Uh, <laughs> raise your hand, please, so I can see it. If you've seen any of the chosen stuff. Because it doesn't do me good if you go, <laughs> I can't see it. <laughs> so a bunch. And if you get a chance, this is good. It's a self-funded uh, um, you know, I think uh, you can all go amen or whatever, but the people, I, I've not talked to anybody that didn't like it. It's, it's about Jesus. It's series. It, it's, they're not beholden to any production studio. Um, well done, good editors. Um, but they have a couple places in there where they kind of talk about the one, and I might have mentioned this before, but it's okay to mention more than once. There's one time when you've got the character, and you can't try out first who the woman is, but it, I think it's John. I know it's John. And it's either Mary or Mary Magdalene sitting there. I think it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is after it's all happened. Jesus is risen and all that kind of stuff. And he's sitting there, and he's, he's got a pen. And he's, he says to her, he says, I'm just trying to figure out how to start. And then you start watching this. And it may not have happened this way, but that's what we're going to do with the rest of the sermon is trying to figure out my, how this might have happened. How to start what? You don't know yet, but you start figuring out. This is John. He's trying to f- figure out how to start the Gospel of John. You know, and, and when I first saw that, I thought, well, I thought the Holy Spirit just went, hey, John, wake up, do this, right. And, and maybe Revelation was that way. It's a little different, but the book of Revelation. But that one was kind of, and she kind of says, well, what are you thinking about? And he says, well, you know, you know, I know Matthew's going back to Abraham, which was kind of cool. So it kind of says, well, maybe they knew each other. We don't know. I mean, they knew each other, but did they compare notes? It's like, well, you're going to put the Lazarus thing in there? Well, I'll leave that one out. You know, I don't, I don't know how that worked. But he keeps going, and he says, you know, Mark's just going to jump right in. And then he says, you know, I want to go back farther. You know, maybe to Noah before Moses, you know. Maybe, maybe back to Adam, and then maybe back to the beginning, and then you get the music. And you remember how John starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created. You know, so, you know, did it work that way? I don't know. Could have. But that kind of gives us a little idea how this might work. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what we get messed up with is we act like the Holy Spirit only deals with us when we're laying on the floor or we're completely out of our mind or something. The Holy Spirit guides us in lots of ways, and we're going to look. This confluence, I think, helps. So the words of the Bible are product of free human activity, but God can supervise the writing without violating human freedom. This is where we get messed up. We, we create this false dilemma. We act like either God directed everything and it was dictation, or it's just a book written by men about God. We don't say that. We think it's a book written by God through men. That's different right? So God can and did use the author's personality, location, linguistic ability, and talents to get the words of each book of the Bible exactly the way he wanted them to be. God can do that. And that's what we believe. This is the background here. This is the confluent idea. And to give you a little example of this, we we get this, and, and we've talked about this sometimes during Holy Week and years, the crucifixion. Think about all the different pieces that happened. This is used a few people. You got the Romans, the Jewish leadership, and Judas. Now, this is always a question people, well, this a, it's a false dilemma. Did Judas have a choice? Because Jesus said, I know one of you is going to betray me. Does that mean Judas had to do it whether he liked it or not? 
And we tend to say, well, either God chose for him or he chose for himself, but neither the two shall meet. And I think it's both. What about the Jewish leaders? Well, we know that they, some of those weren't great, and they were doing this for the wrong reason. It was because of them that ultimately, and Judas, that he got crucified. Did they do this because they were trying to serve God? Well, maybe some thought they were, but some of them did it because they were evil. What about the Romans? Well, they just killed people when they were, got tried and convicted. You know? So you had all that in place. Was it the free will of the Roman Empire to do this? Yes. Was it the free will of the religious leaders to get him crucified? Yes. And was it the free will of Judas to betray him? Yes. But God used all that because he knew. And so what this whole idea is that God gets what he wants within the free will of things. Now, we don't usually see that until afterwards, right? Or maybe after we die and go to heaven, we'll understand some. Some of the stuff we'll never know exactly why things happen. We're 2,000 years later looking back and, okay, this makes sense. Could Jesus have been crucified without Judas betraying him? Yeah. Would it have been okay if Ju Jesus wasn't crucified? Now we got a problem because that was prophesied, right? Some of the things around it, it could have happened a lot of different ways. Uh, couldn't have happened too much earlier because crucifixion wasn't invented yet. You know, so you've got all these things, but God does that. And I think that's the way we have to look at it. God is working, and think about your own life. God works in your own life with your free will to do his ultimate purposes. So you've kind of got to step back and think, well, what is his ultimate purpose? Well, that's not that hard, is it? God's ultimate purpose is to call a people to himself. And that starts with individuals, and then we do that in community. That's his ultimate purpose. Now, how he does that, he can do that. You all remember Bruce Almighty, that movie? You think about prayer, you know, or, or just God doing this. Like, you think about it, how does he do this? This, this, this is really quite a trick to be able to do something. Now. How, how can he get this to work, get one person to do it, and we'll go back to Bruce Almighty in a second. But Norman Geisler passed away a little bit ago, uh, a couple years ago, uh, 19, I think. He... Uh, what you do on stuff like this when you're talking to somebody, and when you think about this, I hope, I really hope this week somebody asks you about this. I don't know if I'll pray for it. I might. Uh, somebody asks you, because people struggle with this. Why do you think the Bible is true? We can give them some of this. How does this work? How did God do this? Well, Norm Geiser gives us a couple different ways of looking at it. It may have been that because only some men freely chose to cooperate with the Spirit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, so that he could guide them in an airless way, that they're ready. That may be, could he do that? Yeah. Or it may have been that the Holy Spirit simply chose to use the men and occasions that he knew would not produce air. God can do that too within their own usage. I mean, you read Luke, it reads a lot different than Mark, doesn't it? It's, it's different stuff. You know, he's using the personalities of the people. And that's what's this in called implied middle knowledge. And you go back to Bruce Almighty. If you remember that, if you haven't seen the movie, Bruce Almighty is about a guy who uh, is kind of down on his luck and he's a little bit upset at God. So uh, God comes to him and says, you think this is so easy, why don't you try it? So I think he gets like 20% of Buffalo or something like that uh, from some one street to another street. He gets to be God of that area. And the first thing they do is comes prayers, right? And all these prayers start coming in his head. Well, he's not omniscient. And, and so he's, he, he can't, he's hearing all this stuff, so he puts it on, uh, he starts, he's like sticky notes. And so <laughs> everywhere is a sticky note. 
And then eventually he puts it on email. And this was a while ago. I think it was on AOL or something. You've got mail. You know? <laughs> and it's just throwing. He just says yes. And you, you can watch the movie. It's kind of cute in places. It's a it, little disclaimer. There's some things that aren't as good. But it's a pretty good movie as it goes. Uh, but it's the idea that we don't, ha we don't have this. We don't know. God knows what a person would freely do or write in any set of circumstances. And he's able to do that. I mean, think about prayers. This is Sunday morning in America. How many prayers are going up to God right now in, in the next hour, you know? Millions. How would you deal with that? Email not going to help. Sticky notes certainly won't. You don't have the ability. God can do it. I, I said this at the Bible study this week or the last. The way I look at it, you can look at it the way everyone. You just kind of, I have to freeze time, you know, freeze it. Take the note <laughs> and then read it. But then I have a problem. All I have is a sticky note, and I'm just a guy. I have no power to do anything with a sticky note. Half the time it doesn't stick. And I don't know anything about the future. So even though I've just frozen time, and I can take all the time in the world to look at every prayer, I can't do anything about it. I have no power, and neither did Bruce. Um, although he just said yes to all of them and everyone in the lottery. Everybody. I think they won like six bucks. You know, it's just, you know, problems. But again, think about that, that God can set up the world in a way that he can prepare somebody physically, intellectually, spiritually, throughout their whole lives, and maybe even their ancestors, so that the right men at the right places at the right times wrote the right books designed by him for us so that we could have the written word in an errant way. I mean, God can do that, and he did. That's our belief. That's what it means. That, and it, it, why is this important? It's like, well, okay, now I know how the Bible is important, but in your own life. You know, you make choices, don't you? You know, we try to make choices that honor God. But he will, and he uses those choices in ways that we may never understand in this life. But we do it and let him take care of the rest. All we can do is go back to those promises that are always there. If you repent, you will be forgiven. That's always true. That's a promise. I will be with you if you, his presence will be with us. I will comfort you. And maybe the, well, not maybe, yes, the most important one, that if you believe in me and have faith and surrender to me, you will have eternal life. You know, that's, that's the ones we want to make sure. Is that, do we really believe that? Because you start taking stuff out, it's all, all, of it, all bets are off now. Lord, I don't believe your word here. I've always wondered that, that somebody's, whether it's a sexuality issue or whatever social issue, and you don't like what the Bible says, so you go a different direction. Well, why do you believe, if he, he's not right there, maybe he's wrong about himself. Maybe he really isn't the way, the truth, and the life. And how do we know that? Well, through the Word and, and through the Spirit, right? You know, if I ask some of you, you know, I, I've had people say that, how do you know you're saved? As I just know. I don't know if that's a bad answer. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. I just know. It's just like, you know, if you have good friends, you know, how do you know they love each other? Well, I just know. Because of the way they treat and the way I feel. But you also have the objective evidence of the Bible. So think about that. You, something like Luke. You know, God was preparing Luke's great-grandfather so that it would work out so eventually Luke would write the exact words that he wrote and that we can look at it. Or John, you know, growing up in Capernaum and 
having the right things to say so that when he wrote and we read and he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes him has eternal life, we can say, yeah, that's true. That's where you want to get. And that comes both subjectively and objectively, but it's, and they work together. We don't believe in a bunch of fairy tales. We believe in truth and real solid words that we think came from God. So we need not see the production of the book, biblical books as isolated incidents that God just kind of zap and then get her done, okay, unzap, and then move on. I don't know how it worked. They were carried along by the Spirit, but they worked together. B.B. Warfield, a couple centuries ago, if God wished to give his people a series of letters like Paul's, he prepared a Paul to write them. That's a good one. You could put anybody you want in there. And you see this in 2 Peter 3, a little bit later from the Scripture we just read. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, waiting for people to come to believe. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. What is Peter saying? Paul's letters are scripture, right, within his letter, which is kind of cool. So it was the intention of God to get us his inerrant word, and we believe he did it. And think about, if nothing else, you can come down on just the character of God. God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And he has chosen to do that primarily through his word, which points to the word of God, who is Jesus. That's the way he normally does it. So we believe ultimately that God has, and that's the very first part of our statement, God has spoken in the scriptures. If God has spoken, we probably should listen. I know it's not burning bush stuff, but those of you who read it and know it, it, it touches your heart in ways it's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? We just know it's right for a number of reasons. So the Bible speaks with divine, in divine authority everywhere it speaks. But obeying the scriptures, the word of God is equal to loving God. That's what we have to see. What are, why do we have all this information? It seems so silly to me. We have these pseudo-Christian cults that keep adding books as if we got the ones we got now figured out. How many get 66 books memorized? Well, let's work on that for now. And what's insufficient in the Bible? What do you need? We're going to go to Belisera, I think, if you need to know that. It's not in the Bible. You know, and maybe just because of my stomach wanting Italian food, that was my free choice. And you, you might go along, you might not, and then you might meet someone and develop a relationship with them and get closer to God, all because Brian wanted spaghetti. God works all kinds of different ways with our free choices, doesn't he? Yeah, that's what, who knows? And isn't it great that he's doing that and we're not because he has the ability? But First John tells us that whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So if you're going to keep it, you kind of got to know it, right? It's wise to strive to know the word of God well because this is the way he chose it. And again, I, I'm not apologizing for this. He's the one that came up with this. You know, it's not in the beginning was the DVD or the Netflix streaming device, although those are nice. He's the one that did the word thing. He's the one that gave us the text. So we need to get in it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I like the way that's put. So as you think about your life, make this book 
center of it because it points to the one that gives us salvation, hope, eternal life. If we can be sure of what he wrote, we can be sure of who he is. If we can be sure of who he is, we can be sure of who we are in him and that we'll be able to live with him forever, eternally, because of his sacrifice. Let us pray. Father, we do just thank you for your word, for giving us what we need in the way we need, the manner we need, at the time we need, through the people that you chose. May we treat it as such. May we try to understand it better. May it touch our hearts in the only, only the way it can. May we be willing to have it on our lips to tell other people the main thing that matters. May we always give thanks for your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.